welcome to Kitchen Radio. That was Seaman Dan with Floria Sales again. Seaman Dan was a Torres Strait Islander musician. Um, he actually gained success when he was 71 in um, year 2000 and so had this 20-year career from when he was 71 to 91. My name's Rita Katoni and today's guest is... Adam Goodrum and Adam I've been trying to get you on the show for quite a long time but I think we've come up with a really good topic to talk about I hope so. <laughs> I don't know why you would have, would have wanted me on the show. <laughs> I mean this show's got a little bit of history with your sister. Um, listeners might have heard Adam with, when he worked with Breakfast with Andy but today we're talking about what you did last year for six months. Mm. Can you describe what you did with six months of your life? Well I had a I have, I had, and I have a yacht. Our journey with it started in in Hobart, but it did that. That particular trip was the boat was already in Batemans Bay at that point. So, from Batemans Bay up to Hinchinbrook Island, and then south again to Harvey Bay or Urangan, which is near Fraser Island. So I tried to work out the distance, but probably about six and a half thousand kilometres. I mean miles. Oh, is it kilometres or miles? I, I don't can't know. Remember it's now. nautical miles, isn't it? When you're <laughs> yeah. talking, and now ocean. I can't remember if I worked it out to be um, nautical miles or kilometres. I think six and a half thousand nautical miles is quite a long way. So maybe it's more. Maybe it's <laughs> kilometres. And you went by yourself with the, with my family. Yeah, uh, yeah. So partner and two children. Yeah, and occasionally some guests as well. Awesome. Few a few visitors along the way. Yeah. yeah. When I first asked you, Adam, did we sort of do this as a show? And you described to me what cooking was like on the boat and we we're like, I didn't think there was a show in this but I think we both went away and thought that's actually really interesting, in fact, the challenges that you, you faced. Um, I can imagine there were other challenges but as this is a, a food-based radio <laughs> show, we're going to focus on um, the food. Did you have a history with boating? Uh, on and off. I've done, I've done a fair bit of sailing, I guess, no, never as, a, as the captain before this. A fair bit of sailing in short stints here and there, and I had a mate in Melbourne who used to used to crew with often around Port Phillip Bay and Western Port Bay, and um, that was a lot of fun. Also, a friend of the family who um, invited me to sail with him in around France, and so a couple of months on the Mediterranean and on the canals, which was pretty exciting. Both of those boats were a lot more able to get in shallow water. Whereas this, this yacht can't. So it's a bit more frightening, especially when you're around reefs because the, the consequences are, aren't great. Because you've got a, it's, it's a keel, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. And how, how big is the keel? It's about just over two metres. We did run aground quite a few times, <laughs> but only one time was it dramatic because there was a rock that didn't get picked up on the radar until we were on it. But uh, the other times you just sort of come to a stop. You're already at low speed. And, uh, okay. So you just kind of got to wait till till the tide either well either you can get off straight away or you wait till the tide lifts you off yeah is there a, a map for all the reefs a lot of them because you're a bit out of phone range you can't look at it live on your on your device mm -hmm. usually you can find an image online that you can use while you're there so at least you have a bit of an idea because yeah. the other issue is there's these bombies that are like coral towers that sort of spring up from the from the bottom and some of them are just right below the surface. So you need to have clear, good light so you can see it. Yeah, and, and um, I suppose the reef is a growing thing as well. So, yeah. you know, what might be on a map might not actually be what's there. You, you, you can... The only one time we went somewhere that was not used a lot 
by other boats so we were really really guessing and there was one note on the, our navigation app which has like a user input part so people put notes about various things and someone said you can anchor in this spot and we got there and like oh I don't know about that. It was quite <laughs> deep. The, it was impossible to anchor without damaging the coral, basically. But there's a really popular one called Lady Musgrave. I don't know. Um, she's famous for being an anti-suffragette. She must have done some other things that she deserves to be having an island named after her. But it's a ring reef that you can access at one point. That okay. was, And there's enough space in there for 20 or 30 boats. But they blasted it probably 100 years ago. It was, it was originally like the fishing community blasted it to keep it open so they could get in and out. And then the military used it for target practice. So there's a, there is a route in and out of the of the reef and uh, you just got to time it so you're not pushing against uh, the tide rushing yeah. against you but interesting watching people coming in and out of there because it's there's a little bit of guess guess what sort of tongue in your tongue in your throat what's that good i know times. i'm not good with metaphors either i kind of know where you're <laughs> heading on that one because you're avoiding reef um reefs i think that's the the plural does that mean you couldn't do maybe as much snorkeling um, or scuba diving that you might have wanted to do. I think we we could have done more, but or spear fishing. That I never got into that. Unfortunately, I did buy a, just a, a, a spear, not, mm-hmm. a, not a gun, but I didn't really get much use out of it because uh, for various reasons. But we discovered that you have to be quite mindful of sharks when you when you're in the water looking for food. You are also food, so yeah. sharks generally don't recognize humans as food but if the if there's poor visibility or there's blood in the water then you know they might things can happen <laughs> yeah so we had quite a few times sharks would appear when we were in the water and only once was it there I went after I caught a tuna and quite a lot of blood went in the water and then within two minutes there was a very very large shark at the back of the boat we certainly in that area we were taking more caution a cautious yes. approach yeah yeah what was the tuna like oh delicious yeah I was hoping for a um, mackerel because yeah, I've been... Yeah, mackerel's so lovely. I've been talking to people. Everyone I spoke to was just raving about mackerel and how many they'd caught. And the only big fish I caught, and it was a tuna. Yeah. So it was the first time I've caught a tuna and the first time I've bled a tuna, which is a little bit gruesome, especially when you're not on a fishing boat because it, it's not designed for fishing, my yacht. And uh, so you're trying to keep blood from getting all over the everywhere there's not really an area to land a fish that was a a challenge and i suppose you don't necessarily want to use the water because there's sharks (laughs) circling the boat yeah yeah and and if if you're not careful you just lose a lot yeah (laughs) do sashimi with it uh yep we sort of um ended up with lots of steaks and um quite a lot of sashimi and i did consider trying to pickle some of it but it just it was too yummy we just ate it all so you didn't even have to you didn't freeze it you just were able to eat i did freeze probably about half of it and uh lasted a couple of weeks i would love to have fresh tuna and mackerel's great i agree like i think mackerel's such an underrated fish particularly spanish mackerel there's Mm. so much you can do with it Mm. i've seen mackerel like just literally shooting out of the water up in the torres strait i think that's half of the um fun because the fishing people some of them don't even eat it they just the fun of catching a big fish yeah and uh, And they've got big jaws and teeth as well yeah they put up a big fight because the tuna didn't it's sort of, I knew there was something there, but it didn't kind of jump out of the water or do anything dramatic. It just kind of said, no, no, I'm not going to come. And <laughs> eventually it did. But. 
As opposed to a mackerel, which will yeah, give you good rumpy money. I yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but have we talked about the length of your boat and how much space there actually was? Forty-three feet. And then yeah. about and how wide? About four and a bit meters. Yeah. And how much of that space was kitchen area as opposed to living area? Yeah, not much. That's what I was thinking when you introduced just the amount of, like, if we just looked at the food as it was presented, it's not that exciting. But yeah. all, the, all the stories about how difficult it was, Yeah, yeah. that's the interesting part. Yeah, and that's, in fact, what you said to me when you were sort of describing, you saying <laughs> it's just really hard. And then I went and thought about it and thought, it may be, but it's really quite interesting. Just to begin with, what's the distance between ports as well? Like, given that you can't just moor anywhere, look, that's a nice beach over there, let's just pull over. Mm. Roughly, how long were you between ports? or between moorings? Most of the time it would just be a day trip, six to, oh, six to eight hours. That's not a long way because we're only travelling at about 10 to 12 kilometres an hour. Often, especially more in New South Wales actually, the, Queensland has a lot more options because of the reef. You get calmer seas and just more more anchorages. New South Wales gave us the worst weather and big swells and lots of the places to get in quite tricky, mm-hmm. either because there's a strong tide or there's a it's a bar, so you've got to time it with the tide and the, and if there's a big swell, it's quite scary. Yeah, there were quite often times where we'd have to do an overnight sail or you know a forty hour stint okay. to get because there were you know there'd be an area where there's an anchorage halfway but the wind's blowing the wrong way so there's no shelter mm-hmm. so you just got to skip it basically but when you get to an anchorage it's not somewhere that you sort of get to and you go and go to the shop and get a little bit of food for that night and some of them some of them would be close to you know facilities but some of them no there's nothing yeah so what was the longest amount of time you went between um anchorage so you mean on like on the move yeah you know i'm, I'm thinking about provisions how much did you have to sort of have in install on the boat Generally, we'd aim for seven to ten days of supplies. Obviously, you run out of the fresh stuff first, and then if you had to, you'd probably last a month mm-hmm. on the on the dry things, cans and whatever, beans and rice and noodles. But yeah, we'd probably shop every every ten days or so. And did you have a tender? That was part of the logistical fun of it was thinking about the easiest way to get to the shops and then get all the stuff back to the boat. There's usually in a lot of places it's a it's a well-worn path with the boaties. So, yeah. so, so how do you do that? Did you have a bike or anything that you could go on? We had scooters for the boys. Yep. And so I, I would often use that, use a scooter with a backpack. But some places like in Ely Beach, there's sort of the both ends of the of town, there's a, a jetty, a public jetty that people can leave. You can leave your tender there and then walk to the supermarket and then bring your trolley back and then leave it <laughs> near the jetty and, the, and they'll come and collect them. There's a whole lot of... Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not sure if it, how um, much they love it, but I think they realise they get so much business out of it that it's, it's worth the effort to send someone down there once a day to get all the trolleys. Yeah. You must be limited to what you can actually also then carry in some places if there's no um, shopping trolleys that you can yeah. wheel down to the jetty. Yeah, yeah, and that became the other part of that, which is trying to minimise your waste, which I try to do here by buying large packets. You can't do that because I don't have the storage. So everything's in a small packet and um, you're generating lots of rubbish. So then you've got bags full of rubbish that you've got to store somewhere until you get somewhere to dump it. And recycling in Queensland is a little bit like here, not very good. (laughs) 
<laughs> Tokenistic. So uh, there were some places that were really good and other places it was nothing, just like the, the 10 cent deposit for cans and bottles was oh, it. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So back to the kitchen. So you've got a 40 by 4 metres space in the... The below deck. Yeah, you <laughs> mean just de- like the, de- yeah, the living yeah. area. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And how much of that did we work out was kitchen? Like, well, the floor space, probably like a less than a square metre, really. Sort of an L shape. And there's food storage under your feet. So you've got to kind of do a funny dance to open the lid that's under you to get access so to... So it's literally under the floor. Yeah. 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 And then... And the fridge? The fridge, there's... There's a fridge and a, effectively a cool box, which is a lid under the bench, kitchen bench. That was a funny thing, trying to another little dance you've got to do to move everything out of the way so you can open the lid to get something out of the fridge. All the stuff that you're currently preparing dinner with is has to get out of the way to get the next thing out. But So would you have to like think ahead and get everything out then? Be, supposing you've actually usually. even got the bench space. Yeah. 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 And electrical appliances? Um, no. No. <laughs> There is an inverter because there's a battery bank which can charge, pardon me, with wind and sun, which we could have an AC device if we had to. So there was a, we did have a stick blender that we used occasionally, but um, mostly, no, just doing things by hand and gas stove, which is on a gimbal, so you it'll tilt with, oh, the, really? with the boat. Yeah, which is, which is generally we would cook when it was calm. I'm but... just imagining boiling water or something <laughs> yeah. while the boat's rocking. Well, that's the... That, I mean, it's a joy to be able to boil. You're on a rolling sea and the kettle just stays level. The hard part is then to pour it into the cups without spilling it all over. Get it upstairs without spilling it all over yourself. But, uh, yeah. So, um, um, so cooking on gas? Yeah. Two burners? Yeah. A little gas stove and a gas two burners on the... Sorry, a little oven and a two burners. So, yeah, so managed to do most things on the stovetop and there's a, had a, have a barbecue above outside which is great except when it's too windy and then the wind just blows it out you'd get you'd get your dinner half cooked and then realize that the gas has gone out were you able to sit down and eat or was it sort of like always eating on the go a bit of both yeah if we were on the move then there'd be you'd have to be a bit more flexible and opportunistic with with your eating but most evenings we have enough downtime to sit and eat and how much was your diet supplemented by what you were able to catch yeah not as much as I was hoping, to be honest. There were, I did manage to catch maybe like an average one fish every two or three weeks. So that was a little bit disappointing. A little bit of other sea harvest, some Warrigal greens from the beaches. Oh. But once you get to the warmer climate, I couldn't find it. That other like pig face mm. as well, you were, able yeah. to, you were able to eat pig face? Quite a lot of that, yeah. That was everywhere. We managed to time it to get them at the right time. On Fraser Island, actually, there were heaps. That's when we discovered that the uh, stingers come that far south because a lot of kids got stung while we were while we were there actually yeah yeah i don't know i know it's somewhere there that that line is and obviously that changes according to how warm the oceans um, are getting as well so Mm. i think it's an arbitrary line as well we swam because we thought we were safe and then when we got back to the marina we saw on the news that four kids had been airlifted to hospital from that area where we were swimming was it irukandji's or yeah yeah, which are really terrible and because you don't know apparently the symptoms don't show until um, half an hour later so you don't even know and they're so tiny as well Yeah. yeah what a scary thing so what did your menu look like it's a bit of a shame job with my attempt to be vegetarian because um the family isn't that excited about being vegetarian, so I sort of gave up on that so, a little bit. All right, so the family's not vegetarian, but you are? Yeah, or vegetarian. <laughs> I was a little bit more relaxed about that. So, And often the kids, 
I'm hungry, I must eat right now or I'm going to have a meltdown. So, so how old are your probably kids? probably a bit too much convenience food, like uh, noodle cups. Uh, uh, eight and ten. Okay, yep. We managed, managed a lasagna here and there and a, and a bolognese. So how did you bake? Because you, you didn't have an oven as... Yeah. Just, you have an oven. Yeah, oh, the oven right. works. So I managed to do bread. So I guess... You know, not as often as I'd like. Yeah, I guess. Oven. Yeah. yeah, a lot of spaghetti. A lot, of, a lot of pasta-related things. Mm. Hey, when you boiled up pasta, were you able to just go and use ocean water to boil up pasta? That is a thing that I forgot to write here. Yes, we didn't actually do that right away, but we did later discover. The problem is that salty water takes a lot longer to boil, so you use Oh, a lot it's more. boiling point's different, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But we did find out that the if you cook potatoes in salt water, they're absolutely delicious, so that's a thing. And, and but yeah, the salt like seawater is super salty, which is great. But yeah, you you have to factor that in for your cooking time and your gas usage. So generally, no, we didn't use salt water for the cooking. Quite a bit of barbecue, quite a fair bit of fish because sometimes it'd last a while. Yeah. One of my favourite things I think I sent you a photo was a shepherd's pie with. Oh, is that what it was? Chips. I couldn't work out what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Looked at it. I'll post that again now that I know what it was. <laughs> I can't remember if that was. Leftover chips being reused in the shepherd's pie, or if I just had the had the brainwave to use chips instead in a, of uh, mashed potato on the top. Yeah, wow, and, and um, that's brilliant. Was it yummy? Yeah, yeah, it was. And um, that might have been leftover bolognese actually. Yeah, with chips. So there's a fair bit of kind of cutting corners here and there because uh, you just have to. And your kids weren't too fussy. Well, they liked that. Yep. They are sometimes a bit fussy, but you have little victories here and there, and eventually you broaden their palates. They kind of go through this stage when they're younger. They both of them are quite adventurous with food, and and then they go through a stage where they just get their tastes get narrower and narrower. So you think, are you only going to eat something that's white or yellow, ever? And then then it sort of broadens out again and. Usually manage to get one green thing in them in a meal, yeah. So was there a heavy reliance on tinned food as well? I guess that more happened as we run out of fresh stuff, we mm-hmm. would have to revert to the tinned. There's a cool box, which is potentially a fridge. It's essentially just a fridge, but it's not. It's what? cool rather than cold. Right. And the, oh, really? And so, it's, so it's a higher temperature than a fridge? Yeah. The way the boat's set up is you turn it on for a period of time, so you've essentially got a double fridge, but it kind of saps the battery power, so we generally didn't do that. So is it like an angle? Mm, it's built into the boat, yep. but it is like an angle, yeah. Mm, and yeah. so you had that, and you had a proper fridge as well. Yeah, which is, yeah. And so three days was sort of the limit for a thing like a broccoli would just start to go yellow and then slimy. Mm. So, And you also, I suppose, um, there's a lot more humidity in the environment, I imagine, that you're in. Yeah. And you've got, you know, quite changing temperatures as well. If you're going like from Batemans Bay up to Hinchinbrook Island, like that's mm. quite a variation in um, in temperatures, depending on what time of year, of course, you're travelling. Yeah. So what time of year were you? Uh, we started in June, uh, July in Batemans Bay. It was quite cold. So it wasn't until slowly headed north. It wasn't until kind of late August where we started to warm up and be in shorts and t-shirts or less most of the time. So that's when you're really getting into it. But yeah, the humidity is was pretty constant. I think even when in Batemans Bay, still everything's really damp. Yeah. And that's also impacting, I imagine, on your, your food as well. Like something yeah. doesn't keep actually quite as well in, in humid um, environments. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So would you, you find that your menu was quite different than what you might eat here at home? Or did you try and sort of stick to much the same type of food? Pretty similar, but probably 
um, more meat, partly because I'm not really sure why that is. I mean, apart from the... It's easier sometimes, yeah. actually. <laughs> well, it's easier to get, like, meat has got really high nutritional value. Mm. So I can imagine if you're trying to sort of keep everybody fed and I can imagine, were you, like, and your partner, were you, like, physically had to do a lot more than you would here? Yeah, yeah. So you, you obviously have to keep your energy levels up. And did your kids work on the boat as well? Did they have yeah, a little, jobs to do? a little. I was always wishing they could do a little bit more, but... Yeah, they did. They did help out. Next time around. Yeah. It's well, probably, I, I feel like I'm not, I wasn't any more active on the boat than I am now, but mm-hmm. in di- I was in different ways. Mm-hmm. And also because um, you needed to be awake all night or not, you'd take shifts. But Oh, really? If, you, if you're doing an overnighter, then you might take a four hour Oh, if the boat's actually shift. sailing. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in a moor, mooring, you don't have to. No. But generally... I did find I didn't get particularly good sleep mm-hmm. when we were on a mooring just because your, your senses are still there's, – there's an alertness there waiting, listening for – waiting for something to go wrong basically. So the, it's more likely for something to go wrong on a mooring than when you're actually sailing? Oh, no, not necessarily. But is it because you you're can't. both – everyone's asleep so there's no yeah. one out sort of watching for what could go wrong? Yeah, certainly be more relaxed on a mooring than anchored. Yep. Because um, boat swings a lot less mm-hmm. on a mooring. You know that you're not going to swing into any other boats unless someone anchors too close to you, mm-hmm. which is unlikely. You can hopefully, because it's mooring that's made by national by the parks authority, mm-hmm. it's probably reliable. So do you so, have to book in ahead of time? No. There's some that you do. Generally, they're just it's a 24-hour limit. Mm-hmm. So you just And there's always a spare, generally? Usually, yeah. And what happens if you get somewhere and there's no spare mooring? You just have to keep going. I mean, there's areas where there's a usually there's an option to anchor in that same area. Okay. So if you, there's no mooring, you can still stay. And what's it like then getting back on dry land after being on the boat for a couple of days? Is that a strange sensation? My memory of doing it when I was younger was it was quite dramatic, yeah. the feeling of sea legs. I didn't have that this time. I was seeing more natural. Maybe it's because we didn't go for so long so mm-hmm. the longest yeah, might have been three or four days maybe with that. we generally found if you didn't if we didn't get on land once a day the kids would go nuts oh so really we'd, <laughs> we'd have to get to the beach go for a run a lot of people had dogs could see that there are times when you just have to get to the beach so your dog can poo on the beach and no matter the weather i was glad i didn't have that problem because there are times when you just like no way. The weather's terrible. I'm not going to the beach now. So when you get somewhere, is there was there a tension between reprovisioning and just wanting to visit the place that you were mooring at? Yeah, yeah, there was. There's usually time. I guess there's a different sense of there's less stuff that needs to get done. So I guess there's, in that sense there's less pressure. Sometimes you just arrive and, well, let's wait till tomorrow because mm. either because the weather's a bit nasty or we won't get back before dark. Mm. Sometimes that was an issue, but generally it was it was okay, yeah. So what were you buying? What were your sort of staples in your kitchen that you had to make sure were there? It wasn't particularly exciting, I must say. <laughs> no, 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 but it's... <laughs> it's like <laughs> potatoes, noodles, rice, seaweed, and then a few different types of things that would go on the barbie. Yeah. We try to do a bit of a menu plan and then, yeah, whatever fresh veggies were looking good. Mm. Were the children involved in the menu planning? A little bit, yeah. We, ju- we tried to have a, everyone take care of a meal each week and uh, that had mixed results, but the, the boys, <laughs> they got into it, yeah. That's great. Did they actually learn to cook in this process? I think so, yeah. They, or at least uh, refine the craft. What was the best meal you had while you were on the boat? 
Oh, probably when there's a, a little bit of a collection of sea things to put on the barbie. That was the, that was the most delicious. So things you've caught or you've been able to buy at a... Yeah, well, things, things we caught, yeah, fish and squid and shellfish in combination, yeah. Mm. Was there anywhere that was, like, really abundant with seafood? A lot of the reefs were. Not that they were necessarily easy to harvest, but... Um, yeah, I know, you see all these fish, but it doesn't necessarily mean to say that they're going to be easy to catch. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of people were spearfishing more rather than using a line. Some places like Orpheus Island, which is near Hinchinbrook, there's a giant clam garden, like just hundreds, these massive clams, which I assume people don't eat or these probably not allowed, I don't know. You weren't tempted to go and grab yeah. one? <laughs> I was... I just was thinking about it yeah. just because I was curious, but I would imagine you'd be asking for trouble. Even just getting one out of the water would be hard enough, let alone what to do with it once you get it in the boat. You know, on some of those islands like um, Orpheus and Polaris and around there, they used to have a lot of goats on the islands mm. as well, and I think that was for people if ever they sort of got stranded, you could always maybe eat a goat. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a terrible story about how they introduced dingoes to one of those islands to actually kill off all the goats. Oh, yeah. Anyhow, that's another story. That's another radio show, maybe. <laughs> does the terrible story involve the death of a lot of goats? Yes, it, it does. Okay, right. Yeah, like the goats have just <laughs> been decimated, of course. We've spent quite a bit of time at Percy Islands, or in the there's one main island, but there's a few of them, but and there's a lot of goats there. So they, I think, there's sort of an ongoing conflict because there's a caretaker couple, and they kind of look after the boaties with some sort of basic services and they'll cook up a goat curry often have a gathering local um, goat yeah there's goats roaming the island i can't believe they're still i think that there is an attempt to eradicate them but it might involve dingoes yeah because yeah. they're too good at surviving yeah yeah i think it generally does involve dingoes <laughs> you can you can see the uh destruction all over the island that they yeah. cause. So. But, yeah, they taste good, so people, some people are interested in them staying there. Well, um, in fact, I think it's something like 95% of the goat meat that you buy in Australia is, is all wild goat anyhow. So, okay. Yeah. Did we get to the best meal? Um, oh, no, yeah. The, was it was the, it the lasagna? No, no. The, but just the, the, the sea, oh, that's right, the sea harvest on the barbie. The sea yeah. harvest, yeah. 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 And uh, the sh- actually, I was disappointed with the oysters. They were generally common in a lot of areas but they I don't know if it's because of the temperature but they the flavour it's really quite a bit bitter okay astringent compared to the oysters down south or like around Tassie I've eaten them off the beach up in um, north of Broome mm-hmm. yeah I don't remember them being amazing but I don't remember them being bad either yeah. okay yeah. what was the the worst meal or the sort of the most difficult meal that you had to cook <laughs> Um, Did you ever have to cook in a storm? I think there were quite a few times where we opted for something very simple yep. because of the weather. Like, um, and did you were you looking at? Did you have to buy a lot of sort of like fray bentos or things like that in case you know you were in a situation where in fact you needed to be working on the boat? Because I imagine this is a tension, isn't it, between like you've got to feed your kids, but you've also got responsibilities in terms of if the boat's sailing. Dumplings, frozen dumplings, frozen pastizzi. 
Okay. And um, sausage rolls and party pies. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a freezer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And were they the things that you were provisioning as well, making sure you've always got things like that just yeah. in case? Yeah. yeah. Generally quite challenging to do any anything more than a cup of tea when you're underway. Often it'd be calm enough that you'd just be chug, chug, chugging along in a straight line and there's no swell, then you'd, you'd be okay. But usually there's some sort of rolling yeah. around going on, which is, makes it pretty challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Was there ever a time when you started to cook something and then you had to go, this just isn't going to work in this particular point in time? Yeah, yeah. And then just got to put it all in the sink so it doesn't <laughs> roll. It's almost having a different mindset about when you're just at anchor and then when you start moving and you have to remember that everything needs to be stowed properly and then get always forget something and then it just all of a sudden the boat lurches and it goes bang on the floor because yeah. it was you left something on the table or whatever. So when you're putting you say your saucepans on your gas burner, do you have to like attach them so that they don't? The gimbal was pretty good. That's how the gimbal will work. Yeah, but works. the stove also has some little metal arm things that you can hold it in mm-hmm. position with sort of as a extra safeguard but yeah the gimbal pretty much was 100% reliable so did we get to the worst meal the hardest meal you had to cook um yeah i can't remember i'm sure there was <laughs> there were quite a few that were really hard but i can't remember what they were um but yeah it was generally pretty simple less than six ingredients and um, maybe a bit of time simmering, but there wasn't a lot of – it wasn't too much preparation yeah. usually. So it was yeah. kind of food was sort of put to the side in terms of sort of your sort of daily light routine. Like it wasn't necessarily something that you might really look forward to cooking an amazing meal. Or was it just more like we just need to like be fed so that we can be doing what we're meant to be doing? Yeah. Some – yeah. So, I mean <laughs> – it's fu- it's odd because I'm managing to cook, you know, with now with a full time job. Yeah. Cooking more complicated stuff, even though I have a lot less time. Most of the time, you're sitting watching the sea go by for eight hours, making cups of tea, listening to music or whatever. There's a, there's a different sense of time. So yeah. there's plenty of time to be preparing some kind of fantastic dinner. But somehow also you just know, I don't know what it is if you just have other things. There's also a lot of other jobs, boat maintenance yes. type things to do. So I guess you don't actually have as much free time as you think you do. But yeah, I think the motivation to get too complicated in the kitchen wasn't there, which is a bit disappointing because I do, I do like, I do yeah. love it. I probably spent more time in the kitchen than anywhere else other than with, with your head underneath the motor trying to tighten up something that was but, leaking. Yeah, but it sounds like maybe your day was not as compartmentalised as, say, when you're working here. I mean, mm. I know for me, since I've stopped working, my day isn't compartmentalised. Yeah. And I'll often put off cooking till later in the day or, you know, it's not the thing I'm sort of like looking forward to sitting down and having that, that meal because I'm doing lots of other really nice things mm. during the day so yeah i'm probably not cooking as as much as i did when i was working full time maybe there's occasionally something more spectacular exactly that's what there was before but it's not as often yeah yeah it's just a a rhythm i suppose was your daily rhythm then quite different yeah yeah i guess the there's sort of more of an on-demand mentality times when you need to be ready for action and then times when you're just going to relax for for the next eight hours or whatever it is yeah some days we we do it three or four days in a row where you take a sort of eight hour trip to get to the next place and that would start to feel like a bit of a routine but 
usually it wasn't that predictable. Mm. Yeah. I know my sister because she's a boater as well. She often thinks about like if the weather's going to be difficult or something like that, like what you're doing with your hands, etc. So that, you know, she would sort of always have like sandwiches that you didn't necessarily need to touch so that if the weather was rough, you know, you could certainly eat something that was quite contained. Mm. So there weren't sort of bowls of soup. Because I imagine bowls of soup probably aren't going to go down that well. No, they're going to go down the front of your shirt <laughs> quite well. But yeah. So it's interesting to look at what you might have to avoid so I imagine soup's one of them. Mm, especially, I suppose if it was cold soup and you could have it in a cup. You know, in a cup. Pr- yeah, yeah. But, it doesn't um, have much appeal, I don't reckon. Maybe in hot weather it would. But yeah, because yeah, uh, when we did the first first big trip initially, we were planning to do it as a family across Bass Strait and then it didn't work out, the timings. I uh, was teeing up going with a professional skipper and he gave me a list of provisioning requirements that included frozen party pies and you know there's a, we were talking about so this is what he wanted yeah yep and uh and sort of that's going to help me prepare me for the reality of when you're rolling on a heavy sea you just need a little thing in your hand yeah. that you can shove in because you've probably got the other hand on something and and uh, there's never going to be that 10 or 15 minutes is there where you say just wait a minute ocean i just need to go and sort of have some time out yeah exactly have a bowl of pasta yeah and that ended up not happening anyway we, we had problems that meant we couldn't finish that trip but even just getting up the east coast of tassie pushing into a 20 knot northerly for half of it some pretty big seas so i got the idea yeah out. party pies are good yeah yeah <laughs> what else did he what were some of the other provisions he asked for might have been some fish fingers in there yeah just trying to remember what else he was a big fan of barbecue sauce so i've added barbecue sauce to my repertoire now because i quite like it and um, it's quite sweet it's much sweeter than tomato sauce yeah yeah i'm you, a big fan of barbecue sauce too actually yeah you sort of think it's going to have a smoky not sweet flavor but it's actually it's sort of like plums sauce really isn't yeah. it yeah so since you've returned to alice springs are there other things other than barbecue sauce that are now <laughs> in part of your daily repertoire of um of cooking oh look i pat myself on the back if i can cook a meal that everyone in the family will eat and i can have the vegetarian augmentation for myself so yeah like i'll make up what i did the other day uh, a um vermicelli beef salad noodles with rice noodles vietnamese style but i just put tempeh on it for myself and the sandwich press it's a lifesaver cooking tofu or tempeh in a frying pan or whatever it's so annoying especially when you're trying to deal with another meal at the same time so i just put the tempeh in the sandwich press and forget about it did you do that on the boat did you have the sandwich press on the boat i didn't no because i think they draw quite a lot of power yeah yeah but it could be good on the boat if you had a lot of power couldn't it yeah i agree with the sandwich press i was horrified when I had a houseminder who once said to me, if you've got a sandwich press, that's all I need. But there is actually a lot you can do with a sandwich press. Yeah, just the fact you can leave it, just let it do its thing. and To a point. Hey, Adam, we're going to have to wrap up there. What are you going to do differently food-wise on your next sale? Well, it's all very well to talk about it now. But, yeah, I guess probably have more meal planning i'm often uh, quite kitchen impulse sort mm-hmm. of like what have i got what what's available here okay i'll make this yeah which is which is is great if you're an innovative cook but i can imagine if you don't have much to choose from might end up cooking much the same thing yeah well this is my this is why my partner is quite good because she likes a meal plan and she likes to follow the recipe yes and i like i like to riff on the rep recipe <laughs> Did you and, not uh, do meal planning when you were on yeah, the boat? Yeah, we, we did. We did. It didn't always work because of because either because I'd stuff it up or because we'd forget to buy an essential ingredient or whatever. But uh, yeah, we generally did. 
so I guess maybe just get getting more creative with the with the meal plan would be something to do differently because we're planning to go in the next holidays if it takes three days to drive there and three days to drive back then it'll only be about four days on the boat and uh, if we have bad weather we'll just be sitting in the marina (laughs) so not the most exciting boat holiday but if we get out that'll be and where's the where's the boat now in urangan at harvey bay okay great we're going to wrap up the show there thanks so much adam for sharing that amazing adventure with me well I always think it's very boring listening to someone talk about themselves for that long. So it's not really. It's very exciting. <laughs> some people enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So, what are you cooking this weekend? Potato Lorraine. Oh, is really? On, is on the list. <laughs> Can you tell me what a potato Lorraine is? I can't actually. Cause okay, it, right. Uh, That's what's on the list, but, but you don't know what it is. It's definitely potatoes, and I think there might be some cream involved. I think it's that it's creamy and cheesy. And okay. That, that, High there must in be, uh, calories. There's probably something else involved in there because there's not a lot of protein in that, is there? No, no, but you're a veg, so it doesn't matter. I, I get creative with TVP quite a lot, but it's not to everyone's No, I'm not actually liking. a big fan of TVP. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty good at making it s- almost... Tastes like mints. Yeah. I'll do a bolognese of the TVP and usually I can trick the kids. Yeah, I've tried that corn, <laughs> that Q-U-O-R-N. I, oh, yeah. I don't like it. What about crumbled tofu? Yeah, yeah. So I've done lab with crumbled tofu. I actually did it for my neighbours who probably aren't really sort of um, experimental eaters and they didn't know. It was only at the end of the meal. My son's like, don't tell them, don't tell them. <laughs> tell them you after they've eaten. Tofu. Exactly. <laughs> tell them after they've eaten. And they're like, oh, really? That was really nice. <laughs> Anyhow, Adam, thank you so much. We're going to go out with your choice of song. Oh, let's just keep it cheesy. Les Baxter was a composer of fine music for B grade movies, and this is one of his. It's called Tropicando.